Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example, and this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. The, <laughs> I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. no. We're going to teabag fight. Yeah. <laughs> you heard of Junkyard Wars? No. Can I get another high five, Beavis? <laughs> now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers. Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining the session. We are here uh, live in beautiful uh, suburban Oakley, California from my bedroom. And I want everybody to know that because, uh, I don't know, I like it out here. It's a nice day and uh, I'm feeling good today for the first time in a long time. But especially because I get to look at the shining face of Mr. Sean O'Sullivan from the 21st Amendment. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? I was actually at your house uh a few days ago, I saw the beautiful That's right. uh, neighborhood of Oakley. It was wonderful. The compound. Yeah, it was. Uh, thank you very much. I was I was very pleased to see you. It was interesting because you're, you're like the, well, I mean, I've seen Bev, I think, like once maybe, but you're basically like the first work slash friend person I've seen. I've seen like three people in a year. Um, and you were one of them. And and I, I think you, that's you nice. You didn't want me to leave either. You had a Pilates thing at 11 o'clock. Can I say that? Do you do Pilates? Is yeah. Is that going to be embarrassing you I right do, now? man. No. Nope. going to get your like, street cred. I do Pilates now. you told now. me it wasn't until 5.30. You said, you want to come back inside and still play with me? <laughs> well, I was a good boy. I didn't have to take a nap. And so my mom said it was fine. Well, I'm, I'm glad Taryn told you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was good, man. It was good to see you. I appreciate really you coming out. It was and, good to see you. Um, yeah. You know, all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, I appreciate you. And then, of course, our special guest today is Eric from Karakin Spirits Company. I said that right, right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Karakin. Okay. Karakin. That's Karakin. Karakin. Okay. Uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, you know, reading through your bio, Eric, I don't know if we have enough show to cover everything that you're doing. You're kind of like one of those smart people. 
Um, so we're gonna we're gonna dip in and out of uh, certain projects that you guys are doing, uh, that you're doing over there, and then uh, you know talking about some of the other stuff that you've that you've done in the past, and you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a good show. So anyway, thank you for joining us um, today. I really appreciate it. And you sent over some uh, some beer, you sent over some canned cocktails, and you sent over an agave spirit. So it's gonna be a good show tonight, everybody. I'm when he gets too smart, you and I will just look at each other, Jason, and be like, uh, yeah, that totally. <laughs> well, Let's try another beer. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I would have done it the same way. I, like, whatever the thing last is, week. Right? Yeah. <laughs> whatever the thing is, not, the thing you're thinking I'm, I'm, about. I'm not too smart. I just like to drink beer. Okay. Well, hey, that's good, man. Um, sometimes, you know, the best ideas you have uh, are trying to approve your beer drinking. Um, so I was looking at, you know, the, the bottle of agave spirit. I'm like, well, I don't know. I, mean, I, I want to taste it, but I, my first instinct was to try to make a drink out of it. So I found a, a tiki drink that has uh, tequila. So I'm going to substitute uh, unaged tequila. To tequila Blanco is the, is the white, right? The unaged, whatever. Anyway, so I'm going to substitute your Blaze uh, spirit for that, and that'll be after the second break. I hope that's okay. I, I, I feel like I should have asked nice. you first. Like, can I put this in a drink and whatever? Hey, do do what you want. Yeah, do what I want, right? So, uh, but I'll taste we, it we too. We make it so you can drink it. There yeah. we. Okay, good. Wouldn't right. it be great if he just came down hard on you and said, "No, you can't do that. What are you doing? You're." That's what's. I th- that's <laughs> that was sort of my fear, where he was just gonna get like stone faced and be like, "You're, I'm sorry, you're gonna do what? You're doing what? You're gonna do? Excuse me, I, I gotta go. And then just here. we would see the laptop close. <laughs> that's all I would, but. You know, that's my flair yeah. for the dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was I was talking to Taryn the other night and I was like, uh, I was like, man, I think my I think a lot of my anxiety, my, my, my problems in life come from watching too much TV because every like every anxiety thing or every problem that I have, I always it, it's like this cinematic problem. <laughs> right like for example and i wasn't just for the record i wasn't really scared or nervous that you were going to be like a shithead about it eric but it would just would have been really funny but in my mind it has to be the most dramatic thing in the entire universe and then that's slowly the reality or like if i you yeah. know uh if i had a a health problem i would just instantly just drop at the most dramatic moment like saying good night to my child or bullshit like that my brain worms and uh, and I think it's just from watching too much TV. That's the problem. Maybe commercials and realize you have like the issues that they're talking about on those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I was born to be a screenwriter. That's all it is. All right. I don't know. We all right. Well, let <laughs> let's get into the beer, Eric. Or at least let's get into your story, man. So, how did you start in the yeah. in the beer industry? Were you a home brewer first, or you just sort of had a love for beer? Yeah, you know, uh, I went to the University of Utah. And I got my degree in anthropology and history, like most brewers do. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, uh, I graduated from the University of Utah, so I'm a youth. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my wife actually bought me my first homebrew kit. And, All right. you know, I was homebrewing and with a bunch of friends. And Salt Lake City actually has a pretty, at the time, had a really decent homebrew, you know, thing going on in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, there was like the classic homebrew shop. There was this arts homebrewing supply where art was like a really curmudgeon homebrewer. Uh, you know, like you'd walk in, what are you going to brew today? Uh, IPA, you know, what malts are you going to use? You know, uh, what hops are you going to use? Uh, you're fucking it all up, oh, you know? Man. And then there's another homebrew shop in town. was the, the beer hive that was more, you know, 
sensitive. And uh, so, <laughs> but uh, there was a really great homebrewing scene in Utah. And uh, I just, you know, I was in doing anthropology, doing um, homebrewing and graduated. And I realized I didn't want to go back to school for uh, archaeology. And I, I was scouring Salt Lake City in 2004 for a brewing job. There wasn't anything available. And my wife and I moved up to Jackson Hole. And I found a, a really great job at Grand Teton Brewing. And I got okay. to work with Bernie Van Order and also uh, Rob Mullen, uh, who was oh, wow. a really big mentor of mine at the time. And uh, Rob Mullen actually came from the East Coast. Um, yeah, he was in the, uh, worked with a lot of the guys at Old Dominion. Uh, anybody remembers Old Dominion, uh, Amber Lager back in the day, that was one of the first, you know, beers pushing it. And uh, so I got to, to learn from Rob Mullen and kind of spread movies from there and went to Uinta Brewing Company, ran the cellars and lab there. Oh, nice. And the whole time I was kind of watching, um, you know, this brewery called Oscar Blues and what they were doing with the cans and uh, really just kind of was drawn to that and spent a lot of time at Oscar Blues after Uinta. And then eventually came back home to my hometown, Cincinnati. And really, I just wanted to bring uh, what I knew about beer back to my hometown and and to be a part of like another beer surgeons, as I, I guess I would say in Cincinnati, where there was like a great brewing tradition at the time, a long time ago, um, kind of got swallowed up by the big breweries and then kind of was coming back. So I, I really wanted to bring my skills of craft back to Cincinnati. And, you know, that's what really drove me back here to my hometown. So that's, I mean, I, there's a lot of other stories along the way, but that's kind of my little yeah. business card. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did you like see like kind of what was happening in Cincinnati? I mean, like Ryan Geis is like the nine hundred pound gorilla there and all that. And so you were like, I gotta, this is happening right now. This seems like a good opportunity or was it all kind of happening at the same time? Or how did you, I mean, what was the, uh, was it just, I want to go home? <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty much. I mean, you know, like I, you know, I, I, I look at like where I was brewing and stuff in the West and even in the East and the mountains. And why did I end up back in Cincinnati? And I, I just love this town and the history. And, and I, I was really, like I said, compelled to bring my knowledge of beer and, and whatnot back to the city it wasn't so much for for me, but it was the tradition of brewing in Cincinnati. And I know that sounds mm. crazy, but as an anthropology history guy, like for me, those roots are very important. And um, fortunately, I was able to be a part of a really cool brewing part of the resurgence in Cincinnati. I mean, that does make a lot of sense, you know, to be honest with you, going from, going from like you said, your, your anthropology background, your love of history, um, to being a part of history. You know, I think that's... I think that's pretty cool. I think it's neat, man. So when you were homebrewing, uh, just to back up a bit, what were you, I liked asking this question when I remember, I think it's very fascinating. What styles were you brewing uh, when you were first learning how to beer or first learning how to brew and brewing the beer that, you know, you were only going to like, that you didn't have any pressures of, do I have have to sell this beer or other people have to like this too or whatever? (laughs) Like, what were you, what were you sort of keying in on? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I fell in love with the joy of homebrewing, like many homebrewers did, the original volume. And uh, AP, you know, took, uh, you know, something that was something to do at home and made it a worldwide phenomena. And, I, you know, I think that's really cool. But I, I drew a lot from that book and just the simplicity of beer and the okay. idea that beer in itself has been made for so many years and, um, you know, bringing it down to its basics. And, you know, uh, obviously everybody jokes about Utah, but 
there, there was a lot of craft going on in Utah back in the early 2000s, you know, and, and, and trying to brew, you know, Utah beer, 3.2, 4%, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was, you know, a chip on our shoulders. And we really wanted to like make good beer. And I think it challenges you. And uh, even, even more so today, it challenges you what kind of beer you're going to make. So, you know, um, what was the fucking question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just how you're doing today. Yeah, how's it going with yeah. you? <laughs> no, just really just about like styles of beer that you that you like to brew as a home brewer. But I mean, that's a fine answer too. It you know, it's sort of it, it sounds like it wasn't about style; oh, yeah. it was about beer. So, well, the first thing in home brewing is like you figure out how to like make hot water, not tip over your water tank, how not to flood your basement. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. uh, where am I going to put my mash when I start making you know bigger batches? <laughs> You know, you're kind of going on the commercial scale at home. I guess that's when you kind of tip the scales. Right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. But <laughs> so you're I like to brew initially at home was uh, the basic styles. And then, at, well, and then the, there's this like Sam Caligioni book, Extreme Beers. And uh, I started brewing like the Extreme Beers in his book. And um, just kind of like even going back further in history and just, like, uh, you know, New Holland, like what John Haggerty was doing, looking at like wheat wines and uh, just pushing the envelope. That makes sense, man. That makes sense. So looking through your bio, it sounds like you got a lot of your experience at Oscar Blues. I mean, you were, you know, you were with them when they did multiple expansions and, and all that kind of stuff. How do you, what sort of influence did 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 the way things worked at oscar blues sort of help you transition into into opening your own place and i know that seems like sort of a, an obvious question but um is it more about like beer quality or or production and making sure everything runs smoothly or, or what were your big takes from from i mean oscar blues is no you know it's nothing to shake a stick at they make some killer beer and they were really instrumental in that in, in that arena of, of growing craft beer especially in the cans and and uh you know with dale's pale ale and everything like that yeah, I think um, what I learned a lot about Dale and Dale's Paleo was you take a unique concept and you refine it. You know, uh, when we started putting beer in a can, <clears throat> doing Dale's Paleo back in the day, you know, the mantra was, oh, well, you know, you put beer in a can. That's the only reason it's like popular. You know, <laughs> it wasn't about the beer. <clears throat> it wasn't about the flavor. It was it was a, novelty. It was a chip on our shoulders, you know. And, yeah. And there was meetings. Right. Like what's a gimmick, right? And yeah. uh, there was a moment where we were all sitting there, and the conversation was, you know, at some point everybody else, like we're right now, we're looking in the the front view, but at a certain point, everybody that's not with us will be in the rear view mirror. Hmm. And it was a challenge to me, not only to make Dale's Paleo it put it in the can, but make it a very consistent product and put it in a can and prove that it, you know, the can's not a gimmick, that it's about the product, it's about the liquid, it's about the consistency. So that, you know, for me, that was a big driver for me at Oscar Blues was the the quality and the consistency part. It, you know, it sounds like you were, you're, you're proving that not only is the beer good and it's selling well because it's a good beer, but you can put good beer in cans and still have it taste good. And I, I, I think that's sort of like, that's a big, that's a big job to do, man. That's a big job to do. I feel like yeah, I would say so. 
Yeah, I feel like you did it well, man. Because like I was, you know, was uh, remembering <laughs> was remembering a, a conversation years ago from the, when standing around the Falling Rock at like a GBF, and people were like, "Whoa, well, did you know Dale's Pale is in cans now?" And it was like the most fascinating thing to everybody um, that it that you can get good craft beer in a can. And then Sully came along and stole that thunder. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah I did. actually, I, I did. I went out to Oscar Blues in in two thousand five, I think, and uh, I said, "Hey, this is." I saw they were canning Dale's Pale Ale, and I was like, "You know, everybody's heard that story before." But I went back and told Nico, "I got the greatest idea in the world. We're going to take our two most popular beers and put them in a can." And he was like, "That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> and so, yeah, and we built an empire on it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely and and what's what's great, and I think. Eric could speak to this as well, is that, you know, once, you know, the the early adoption occurs and you spend a lot more time talking about the can versus the liquid inside, because that's what people, it's so unique and so weird. But now I think probably, and I'm just going to throw a number out here, I'll make it up, but like 90% of all craft beer comes in a can now. It's like, it's completely the other way. Um, so that's super exciting. I mean, you, it's hard, you'd be hard pressed not to find any brewery in the country not putting their beer in a can right now. So, right. And which is why we have a can shortage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is why people are switching back to bottles. No, that's that's Lacroix. That's Lacroix. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're swooping up all your no, cans. It's, it's about it's about it's about making like uh, craft viable in a can. You know, like the, the you think about the differentiation point early on in craft beer was that like small canning was not available to uh, any manufacturer. Uh, so, you know, to be able to start small, open that up and create a, an avenue. I mean, these, these can people wouldn't even talk to somebody 10 years, 20 years ago, you know, at this point. Um, so to make it a viable option to package, um, you know, if you look at like uh, the only way small breweries could package back in the day was to put stuff in a bottle. It wasn't it wasn't a, because of it was made the product better. It was because of necessity. So like you know, the early beer bill of rights was only a good craft beer comes in a bottle. Well, that's just, you know, that's only cause that's what's you could put in that a bottle. At the time. <laughs> right. right. There was no, there's no canning lines. You well, couldn't get a canning line as a small producer. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's sort of weird when, when, when people draw that hard line with, with craft it sort of reminds me of like the, the famous stone, like fizzy yellow beer, you know, thing. It's like I feel like when you when you do stuff like that and you really pigeonhole and then you sort of make it about quality, I don't think that really does a, a service to the industry, you know, or the customers or anything like that. Like we should, you know, it's it's a fluid thing. Whatever makes whatever's in search of good beer, whatever makes the beer good, do that. But I guess yeah, you sort it's of like have to the whole thing with uh, with wine. Well, you know, like I look at like uh, with 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 cans like the. Bottles, the whole like pry top versus twist off debate that went on for years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they went back the other way though because I mean, you know, I think Sierra was leading the fight on that. Like they switched to from pry yeah, to twist off did. and anchor fault suit out here on the West Coast, and then they realized, hey, maybe that's not such a good idea, and they went back to pry off. I, I mean, I guess the question was like, well, Bud Light does it. I feel like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale could do it too, but they noticed the difference. That uh, I don't know. They did. There was probably some tests, you know, that they ran, they were running and yeah. evaluating it, and decided it was better for the beer if they went the other direction. Yeah. Well, Eric, so you you moved back to Cincinnati, your home your home city, right? And you're gonna you are you're you're planning to open a brewery? Like you left? Where were you before you moved uh, moved back home? 
uh, at Oscar Blues in North Carolina. And uh, at that point, did you know you were about you were going to leave to open your own place, or did you go home first and then said, "Hey, what am I doing here? I'm knocking around Cincinnati. I could I could be part of this uh, heritage out here." Yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted to get back home. Um, you know, as a, as a craft brewer, you know, starting out, you're, you, everybody always the dream is to open up your own thing, right? But but there's several steps to get there. Sometimes sometimes you don't know how you get there's there. There's just a few. Um, yeah, there's a few. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, being in love with the Cincinnati brewing tradition, I, I took a job with, uh, Greg at, uh, Christian Moorline. And so I was the VP of brewing at the Christian Moorline, uh, brew pub and the production facility. And with that, uh, Christian Moorline also owned Hudipal, Shaneling, Burger, you know, a lot of those old Cincy brands. And so I was responsible for bringing those back to Cincinnati at the time and which, uh, again, really resonated with me and with my homage and, uh, you know, being a part of bringing back some of those old school brands. What kind of brand yeah, were you, so, were you uh, sort of uh, reviving there? Well, there was the, the, the old Christian Moorline brand. And, uh, you know, that was like your Bach beer, Hellas, oh. you know, traditional stuff. And then there was uh, Hudipal, which Hudipal was one of the bigger macro breweries in the region, uh, mainly Hudipal, Hudi Delight in uh Hudipal 14k and then i was also making little kings okay. little kings killers oh, wow. like seven ounce bottles Jeez. you know those are all cincy brands you know and those those are all the brands for stroh's you know and other brands okay. started to come in to undercut the cities and take over the sponsorships for like the, the stadiums and whatnot and you know that's when you still have like a hometown beer yeah for sure did that sort of like uh scratch your um anthropology itch there a little bit yeah, totally. You know, I mean, even uh, the brewery that we were producing with that uh, had loggering tunnels below it. Uh, and in, in Cincinnati, we have we have a lot of loggering tunnels below the city. And those are all pre-prohibition loggering tunnels uh, that were brought over here, you know, and produced those beers either by like German immigrants, English, uh, a lot of different people. Are you? Yeah, I remember actually going back. I've been out to Cincinnati a few times. And if you want a great tour, a great brewing tour of uh, old brewing buildings, uh, you got to definitely hit Eric up because uh, he's he's got a big brain about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Eric, are you in the tunnels? You're in the tunnels a lot, aren't you? <laughs> like, do people have to come and yeah, find you in the I tunnels? In the t- okay. He lives in the tunnel. That's why the Internet's not that great. <laughs> I am. I just, yeah, exactly. I, nobody knows that. Um, yeah. No, I, it, it's really fascinating, and I love being a part of being back in Cincinnati. And a lot, my best friend is uh, runs the American Legacy Tours, and they do all the tours downtown and underground. And um, it, to be able to help also, like, with looking at the tunnels and these old brewery drawings and, like, actually, like, looking at how beer and liquid was moved around these facilities and at the time, it's really cool because, you know, if you think about it back then, like, brewing sites uh, – it was a one house shop. You, you know, you, you brought in your malt from the countryside, you made your malt, uh, you, you know, you mm. brought in your water from an aquifer. Uh, you had your stables on site. Like you, you had a complete brewing facility within like two or three blocks of the city. Um, you know, completely different world. <laughs> yeah. So they were like, they bring the malt in, they were malt it on site and do all that just whole entire process. Right. Damn. That's crazy. Man. Like all in one, all under one roof or a few roofs. Yeah. yeah. Who else would do it? <laughs> well, that's true. So. That's true, man. I mean, that's a really good point. So when you want to open your own spot, 
what kind of location are you looking for? I would imagine that you're trying to find like an old historic building and, and try to tie in, but um, you know, but I don't know the realities of that. So, so when you're when you're searching for a site, what are you looking for uh, when you eventually find one? Well, for me, uh, with my background, it was all about production. So I was more or less looking for a site that could easily grow into a large production facility. And, you know, granted, you know, now we, we do craft brewing, but we're, we're also a big uh, craft distillery. And so for me, with my background, I was looking for a place that was out of the way. I could build a large production facility uh, and also have a tap room, but that wasn't the main focus. Okay, right. You're you're looking at expansion, and you had experience doing that before, or is that something you had to learn specifically for this? Uh, expansion, you know, I you know, for me, starting in craft beer when I did, you know, back in 2005, expansion was kind of just the name of the game starting then. And so every every brewery that I've worked at, it's always been about expansion. Uh, Oscar Blues, obviously, was a big expansion project that spanned for me for eight years of my life. <laughs> okay. Jesus, and, uh, yeah. Um, you know, we always brought in the big stuff at the end of the year, whatever, but, uh, you know, I mean, Merry Christmas, Oscar blues, but yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, so uh, I mean, you know, for me, 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 for me with the consistency and manufacturing, that's what I, that's what I really get into is the, you know, the equipment, the manufacturing side and, and the people side and, and that may make people feel bought into the quality and the consistency of your product. And so, Building Carrickin was all about that. It was, you know, the, you know, build the site, build the facility, bring the people. Okay. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Man. Build it right. Hey, yeah. What, one question I've always had for you is like, where did the name come from? Yeah. So uh, there's, there's elements in a forest fire that, that start to regenerate a forest after a fire. And those are called Carrickins. And so there, there's elements of smoke in the forest fire that actually start to, like tell the root structures to regenerate and like when to recede. And those are all uh, carrikins. Wait, really? So basically burnt down, start anew. That's pretty cool, man. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> Literally. That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, that, and, yeah, and that it, sort of fits it, in. It's not like a, a place name, last name slash, you know, place name, <laughs> Brewing you company. know, yeah. Right. Like, whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, no, because you, you don't, know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to pigeon yourself into like a location where it's specific, you know, if you want to sell this far and wide, you don't want to like have this name that's going to tie you to maybe, or though in some instances it works well, like Russian river or uh, Alvarado street, but you know, it, you want to, you want to, you want to be able to go broad and far. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Cause like in spirits, it's a lot different. Cause too, like, you know, you have Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee, all over the bottle. Um, how, how in spirits, how proud do you want to be about where it's made? Is that is that a differentiation point versus beer? You know, what I mean, like, yeah. You know, I watched, uh, like, especially, you know, I watched the transgression of that, like, with with Oscar Blues, because, uh, you know, when we moved to North Carolina, the big question was, what are we going to put on the can? Is it yeah. going to say "Made in the Rockies," "Made in North Carolina"? You know, hmm. and we we're transparent about it. It was either Rocky Mountain made or, you know, North Carolina made. And so those are those questions as you get to be a bigger company that maybe you never thought you were going to have to ask yourself. But 
um, you do, you know, like same with uh, New Belgium. It always said Colorado, USA, fat tire, Colorado, USA. And then it slowly whittled down to something different. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just, those are the, those are the things as you get to a bigger company. You like, what, who are you talking to? What are you doing? What's, what's the point? You know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if changing it though is, is sort of like, it feels to me like an, an admission maybe that like, like with the new Belgium thing, like maybe people don't care as much or, or you were wrong or, or it's, being shy about where you're from, I don't know. I mean, th- I guess, I guess what you're saying is there's, there's a, what's your brand identity? Is where, where you're from, or the liquid in the, in the package? And I think that's that always right. that wins out every time. Well, in some ways, legally, you have to put like where the location is, where it's physically brewed. Yeah. I mean, we had the same instance happen. We had our pub in San Francisco, which is still there at five six three Second Street, just two <laughs> blocks from where Giants play baseball. Um, but um, you know, and so we opened up a place in San in San Leandro, just across the bay, and. Um, you know, we had that debate. It was like, what do we want to say? We want to say where our emotional home is, which is our spiritual home, which is San Francisco, or do we want to do embrace, you know, this, this move to San Leandro is, you know, it's, was, was a, you know, a huge manufacturing area. They, you know, they had Dodge plants there. They had our, our facility was a Kellogg's plant at one point and just embrace it. And it, you know, it was a really quick conversation for us. We just said, all right, we're, we're, People may not know where San Leandro is, but they're gonna. And you have to say it the right way. I like saying San Leandro. You do, uh, and my it, friends nuts. And it, um, yeah, it, it's it's scratching my brain in the back. Where every time you every time you say it, just as a Bay Area native, I can't, I can't, I can't with you. But yeah, that's fine. I'm glad it's having an effect on you. It really, <laughs> it hurts me. But, but I think that illustrates a good point. It illustrates a good point that that was only like how many you know you're going over the bridge, you know, let alone yeah. like across the country. These are those doesn't matter how near or far you are <laughs> you still like you're debating that you know right yeah you, those are like there's meetings <laughs> that are taken up <laughs> well to figure it out eric let That's me time you'll we, never get back in life you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> trying to figure all that out like at some point you just do it uh speaking of just doing it though i want to i want to drink a beer i want to open a beer yes um i think it's time it's time on the show so as it, we as we talk about uh the new brewery and, and what you're doing over there um I have. I'm gonna go ahead and assume the pills goes first. That's what yeah. I have. Let's do it. I have it right here. Let's do it. All right, All right. we're cracking it. <laughs> I'm just Pop gonna top. hold this up. I'm not gonna drink it. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is for my uh, my museum. Sober March. Yeah. Sober right. March. Yeah. Sober March. Uh, so tell me about this pills here, please, Eric. Yeah. So. Uh, we have a reverse osmosis system at our place. <laughs> uh, so we can take out like most of the minerality. <laughs> we had, we, we like to add it back. So like it's got a, like a Pilsen water profile. Uh, it's heavy on the check sauce hops and uh, like a medium bitterness, like lower than a German pills. So it's like a hybrid between a Czech pills, German pills. Yeah, for sure. I'm 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 just I'm I'm drinking that it is the it is such a clean, crisp, sweet pills. This is very I hate to say it, crushable. This is very very like slam it into my, my veins. Yeah. Are you from like it's where so are you good. from right I don't now? Know. Not from Oakley. God damn, <laughs> crushable. I was going to make fun of a city, but I don't want to alienate anybody. God, do uh, it. No, it's super clean. It's really crisp. It's clean. It's uh. That sweetness on the end, like it's it's sweet and then it just slams yeah. super crisp, um, you know, with a little bit of hop on the back. 
So you're you're you have RO water and, and you build back and we've talked about this a, a couple of times and I want to ask you as someone who who builds your water when you do you target you target a water for like a certain location like uh, well like you said like a German pills right you target like a like a Germany what do you target with your water yeah in yeah regional? It's, it's a good question because like at Oscar Blues like with with the uh, water profile we had Rocky Mountain brew water. I mean, you don't mess with that. Um, here in Ohio, uh, I, you know, I was, this is where you like cross lines. You're like, I'm a truist, you know, I'll take whatever water I get. Um, but you know, honestly with the, with a RO system and to really be able to play with water profile as, as we all know, like water is a big part of making beer. Um, you know, I don't have access to the Rocky Mountain brew water and, and it's just, you're able to do way more. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just fun to play with water chemistry. Uh, you know, it's, it's that's something that I mess with a lot. Um, but making a clean beer like this, I mean, to recreate a water profile from Pilsen, you can get that, like, that soft minerality to it. Yeah, and- yeah it's it's got some minerality to it. I mean, it's definitely, yeah. this beer is, you built this beer. It's really, I'm just curious, actually, getting back to the water thing, like, you know, in an area where, and hopefully I'm not opening a can of worms here, so just say I'm not going to answer that if you don't want to. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, what like, what's the water like there? I mean, you know, you had all these breweries, you know, that have, that have, <laughs> you had all this, all these breweries that have, that have been there for years using the water. Something goes sideways there, and you have to. But I think it's a lot of hard water. It's all hard water here. Mm. Very hard water. It's not soft. Okay. You know. Okay. <clears throat> well, and. So what I'm getting at with with the, with the RO question is, I guess is more of like, you know, breweries today in in you know Germany treat their water. I would imagine for the most part. Do you do you sort of target what the beer should be with the water, or it's like here's the region and it's untreated? Does that make does that make sense? I, I don't know anything about water chemistry. I've done this show for 16 years and I'm still stupid. So. Um, <laughs> You know oh, what I mean? On. Like, are you are you building for what the target is for the beer, or are you building for for a German water profile, or is it just sort of somewhere in between? But yeah, so uh, so in Renheitsgebot, in you know the German pretty laws, mm-hmm. if you guys are familiar, yeah, <laughs> I wrote them. But they, <laughs> I wrote the, I wrote, I wrote the book. No, I was there um, when they were written. Yeah, Sorry. no, so you could old joke. So so I asked, I asked. I asked this question about bringing Reinheitsgebot in Germany. You can actually, you can treat your water. You can do an RO treatment on your water. You can add back all the minerality, but you cannot make a pH adjustment. So for acidity, <laughs> okay, um, you have to use like, yeah. So you have to use um, acidity. You have to, yeah, or 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 uh, like a lacto. They, they usually yeah. have like a lacto tank going, huh. but, uh, okay. and then, but you can add back all the other minerality, but not to exceed the water profile of the city. So, you know, yeah, they're treating their water, but they're like still using the same minerality class of the, uh, that city or township wherever they're in. So, okay. you know, I mean, it's, it's all relatively how many parts like within like calcium, whatever you're like. When you're talking like really low water for Pilsen, Pilsner, like it, there's not that much to go on. It's just it's a very low minerality profile. But okay, I forget. But you can add. You can do. Yeah, but you can. 
but in Raizkabut, you can actually filter the water. You just have to add back the minerality of the municipality. And so that's what we do. Like we look at the municipality water profile and you can get that online. Okay. All right. I see. Like type in Munich. Yeah. You can like in any of those brewing programs, you can actually, you know, find exactly what the, what the minerality is, the pH is. And, but you have to also take into account if you're using your own water, like if you're not using, like when I was brewing in Southern California, when I was a home brewer back in the day, I would use distilled water. We'd have to add back all the time because the water that I was brewing with in Southern California was not very good. I would never do that. Well, and just to, you know, sorry for for putting a fine point on it, but it's a question that sort of has come up mainly because the last couple shows we've been talking about loggers, which has been the the highlight of my life. Um, But, and it's, it's a thing that we sort of mentioned also on the show about with home brewing is, you know, if you're targeting a, a London water profile, well, you know, the breweries in London treat their water, but, I think what you just said is that yeah, so German brewers treat their water, but they treat it back to what the 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 there's a range that they can operate in, and that's so they they strip it, but they put it back to have cleaner water. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't know the difference between you know focusing on a geolocation or focusing on a beer style. I guess they're the same. They're just the same thing. So it's sort of I don't know. I'm trying to like put the pieces together in my head about about why we do stuff in brewing. Oh, it's about drinkability, right? Yeah, yes, and that's exactly. where water profile comes in. And and I can taste that in this beer. It is it is very very crisp, um, but still leaves some residual sweetness on your palate. Still leaves that bitterness there. That's a very good uh, pilsner, and I love the 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 label. It's very sixties, uh, old school. It's very old school. And I really like <laughs> it, man. It's very very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Oh, what style of beer do you guys brew the most uh, over there? I would say like our Pilsner, yes. like our lager beer. God, man. I don't know what, I don't know what yeast you use. Uh, I like to use um, the Brewing Science Institute, David Bryant. He's a really good guy, makes good yeast. And so I, I typically carry the Augustiner yeast. Okay. You know, people say Augustiner can be a little more sulfuric, but I think that's also depends on how much you spooned your tanks or cap them and what you're releasing. Mm-hmm. But at least for uh, Hellas or like pills. Otherwise, something more Northern German for like a really heavy, bitter pills. Do you spoon your tank or, 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 or whatever? Spooned? Spooned? Yeah. yeah. I like carbonate? to spoon the tank. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like sh- I've been known to spoon. I'm a spoonder. I like, I, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been known to spoon. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Sully, let's crack up another beer, huh? And then we'll take a break. Okay. We actually have a lot to get through. I, I don't have any beer, but I have this Key Lime Sparkling Spirit. Uh, we're not there yet, I don't think. Okay, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Sully. That's all yeah. I heard. Well, because uh, basically I'm, I'm doing, we're doing the beer, and then I want to talk about the spirits, and we're doing the spirits. i got to make a drink. It's a whole thing. i got a whole thing going. Well, this would have come out in the pre-show meeting that we didn't have <laughs> until we were on the air. Uh, Eric, should I... I mean, we were, we were all hanging out in the green room. That's true. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Eric, should I do the the Citra IPA or should I do the uh, dark lager yeah. next? I think let's do dark lager because I think the Citra will be way more hoppier afterwards. That's what I think too. And I like dark lagers. So tell me a little bit about this beer, please. It's uh, so, I think it's just called dark lager. That's correct. It right. is called a dark lager. There you go. You're not saying it right. You have to say dark oh, yeah. lager. <laughs> dark lager. Dark, dark lager. But no, my, my wife and I went to... Uh, this brew pub, Ufleku, in Czech. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and and do you really know a it? Lot of people, a lot of brewers. Yeah. Okay. What's that? Uh, I was asking yeah, Sean I, if he I, really if he really knew it because it just yeah it's okay. it's in it's in Prague, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they make I've one judged, beer. I've, yeah, judge. I've judged with the brewmaster at GB, or World Beer Cup before. Yeah, just just what's his name? Name drop it. What's what's going? Like, what's, <laughs> I'm forgetting. Right prove now, it. I'm yeah, for your story. Uh huh. Uh huh. No, but my wife when I went there and I was like, uh, you know, they serve one beer, one beer only, and it's a dark lager. Um, so I, I wanted to make one when I came back. Uh, you know, I will admit this one's way too roasty. You know, but it, it's still drinkable. For the, for their style, I, I I couldn't nail it exactly right, but it's still a good lager, dark lager. So when you no, were there, uh, did you get the little shot of whatever that shot is they give you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was like a like, you... like a it was like honey. Yeah, it was like something that's was like yeah, there's like a guy playing an accordion, and he's like drink my shit, you know. <laughs> but yeah, they give you the dark lager, then they give you like this. I mean, it's like it's sort of a lighter version. Uh, in viscosity of like I don't know Jaeger or something. Or yeah, Fernet. exactly. Okay, and you're just like yeah. you're just like Ugh. yeah. With the dark lager, and if, if you've been to, well, and if you've been to check, like their currency is fucked. It's like <laughs> two thousand, you know, like like coins to like your dollar. And so you're like you're yeah. sitting at a beer like at this beer garden, like yeah, and the guy's like yeah, it's like money. eight thousand, you know, fucking whatever. <laughs> and you're like. Yeah, I'm like sitting there, like fuck me, shitting yourself. You yeah, know? like what? I can't do math. I'm like, uh, you know. And then you're trying to do like the thing, like Americans aren't supposed to tip. We're supposed to tip. I don't know. Fucking what's a thousand kroners? You know, fucking whatever. <laughs> you just tipped them a quarter. I mean, at that point, I th- I feel like you're so far yeah. away from the exchange, like uh, you know, where you get where you where you change in your money, right? So there's like a separation, and I I don't know because I I don't leave my by my block, so I've never done this, but like I f- would imagine you like I'm buying fake money. No, no, this money ha- no longer has U.S. dollar value. So I just give you whatever. Here's a million krona. I don't know what I don't know what that is, but it's just easier for me to do the math. That's what I feel Come like on, I would Jason. be like. Jason, you've you've exchanged for the currency in Antioch. I know it's very different from the currency in <laughs> That's Oakley, right. but you've yeah, seen, you've two, seen you two rocks those. for a dime bag is the is the is the trade uh, out there. Very well. Yeah, uh, this dark lager is so, very very good. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna. Oh, I, so I also I used the uh, the Vyrbin like uh, special tube, um, and you're only supposed to use about like ten or so percent, and this one's like about sixty percent. Jesus, this one's actually roasting. like sixty percent. Yeah, sixty percent special number two Vyrbin, which you're only it's it's pretty heavy. Wow, and but you know what? Honestly, with the big calcium dose, it doesn't taste like it. Like it's roasty, but it's not. If you if you had told me that before I would have tasted it, I would have assumed like, okay, here's this fucking like astringent, almost chalky like thing, and it's it's not that. It is it's a very light roast coming through. Maybe it's a little heavy for the style, but it's very light on top of everything else. I would never have guessed it's sixty percent. But that is a dark ass beer, man. Wow. It is dark, even over the internet. Yeah, it's pretty dark. How does this beer sell? Because I think I feel like dark loggers maybe scare people away. Uh, you know that's interesting. I you know I, I, it doesn't sell really well. <laughs> okay. I'm just joking. Okay, okay. It's, it's like shit. <laughs> now I don't either know what to do or no, no, fuck it because some beers don't sell and maybe I'm just an asshole. I don't know or both. Yeah, you know, there's like pa- there's like your passion projects, you know, and then there's like 
the everybody sells, but like no, it's a, it sells really well. It's fine. <laughs> and I felt that way about uh, Back in Black, our Black IPA. I mean, it's a lovely beer. It's great, but it was only really selling in upstate New York and Atlanta. Apparently, <laughs> it's like being big in Japan for a while. But that style but, you know, is coming back. With, that style. That style is coming back. Black IPA is, I, I is saw becoming that. popular. I did see that recently. And it's we like had. If you just wait long enough, it'll come right back. It'll come right it. back. And we had a guy yeah. on on Doctor Homebrew, which is uh, Eric. Yeah. It's our it's our homebrew focused show. Uh, he sent in a beer to us for to to, to judge. Um, and it was a clone of Sully's uh, Back in Black. And it's like the, these things sort of like come around. Like, for example, I was reading in your in your pre-show notes, Eric, that you do a, a quad. Uh-huh. I hadn't heard of any brewery doing a quad in, I don't know, five years. But we had we had um, uh, Halfway Crooks last week. Um, do a, <laughs> They sent a quad. You're talking about doing a quad. Quads are coming back. These like this pendulum swing is sort of going back into you know, late 90s, mid 2000s. It's very weird. It's a very weird time for beer styles, I think. Do you find that? It's, oh, styles are weird. Or I, I didn't know if that was for, that question was for Solly or it's, me. It's for, any, no, it's for anybody, look, man. Look, look, that's the way, look, we should have done this in the pre-show. You're always going to answer first, and I will try to jump in. <laughs> it's also hard because of the, the delay, and it's, you know, it's it's always easier to do this in studio, but obviously we, we can't, uh, you know, we can't do that. But, no, so... Here's where I'm at with styles and shit like that. You know, it's like, like, like today we released like this Amarillo by Morning IPA. Okay, it's got Amarillo hops. Okay, you know, it's in the name. Um, I brewed it like a weeded IPA. That was like basically the weeded IPA. Remember that shit back in like what was that like? Uh, Sully, how many years was weeded IPA like a thing? Um, I mean, it was probably like you know ago, early two thousand, maybe. Like yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's come back and yeah. back again. So For like yeah. a minute though, yeah. Yeah, so I I fucking I went in there with this fucker, and like brewed it with a lager yeast. You know, threw a bunch of wheat in there, unmalted wheat, fucking flaked wheat, unmalted rye, whatever the fuck you know, like shit, and put it out there, brewed with lager yeast. What are you gonna fucking call that? <laughs> Amarillo. I mean, what like like, a, Cold, like Amarillo by morning. Cold That's IPA. So I'm a big I'm a big George Strait fan. So we call it Amarillo, Amarillo by fucking morning. Okay. You know, yeah. What are you gonna call that? A wheat what? A wheat what? Wheat what? Wheat IPA. Wheat what? Like, what are you gonna call it? You yeah. Know? You got to put IPA on it to ale. sell it, man. Yeah. <laughs> if it was out here, if it's out here, if it, it you have to put IPA on it, or else it won't sell as well. It yeah, doesn't matter. It was brewed with like 100% lager yeast, top ferment or bottom fermenting, bottom fermenting yeast. Isn't that cold IPA, Sully? <laughs> it yeah. is. You want me to talk about that again? <laughs> but you know, you're right, though. I mean, beer styles are coming back. I mean, but one style. So we have a beer out here, regional beer, uh, Death and Taxes by Moonlight Brewing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a black lager, and it. I mean, that, you know, it's a, it's a very decent, popular beer. It really sells well, and they've been making it forever, and so. I, you know, like going back to what you were saying earlier, I think, you know, when, when styles go away, they always come back. I mean, right now, I'm honestly, you're seeing, and I think this is actually about to happen, you see more of this. It seems more loggers are becoming more popular again. When you're seeing small little breweries that are, uh, you know, local breweries really leaning into that style, it's, I mean, I, you know, this sounds like I'm in a meeting with my, you know, innovation group, but we, I mean, we, you, you you're going to start seeing more and more of that. It's just, it's going to happen. And and it's exciting for me. I mean, I think the beer doesn't, doesn't appeal as much with like Instagram, 
in all that because I think the turbid, you know, cloudy, uh, hazy IPAs, they, they, they look great, you know, in that regard. But I think you're going to start seeing a return to clear beer. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know what I think? Hey, man, I will run my platform on it. <laughs> you know what I think would be cool is to do, like, to do the shots. with a proclamation. <laughs> yeah. Proclamation decree. Yeah. I will drink a Pilsner from Karakik. That's right. Will, I'm going to write I, this. I am an amending the 25th amendment of dark beer, cloudy beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to nail this fucking thing to the, to the front door of the BA. Just, <laughs> yeah. um, be careful what you wish for. I think that would be. I think it would be a, a cool like marketing thing. Would be is like take all these you know these fancy Instagram photos um, uh, that people do with a hazy IP. It's like the fucked up weird glass shapes that aren't for aroma at all. They're just for fun. And instead of pouring your hazy beer and it, just pour like perfectly cl- clear, beautiful yes. beer through it and just yes. style it like that, like the pastel fun. Instagram kind of thing. Can I, I think. The, can I? I, go, can I? I, I, I kind of want to go on and off the record here. Well, you are you're being recorded, so I can edit out whatever you want to say. But we are live on Instagram, so you're sort of on the record. Well, I was okay. I was at a I was at I was at a brewery a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about glitter beer, (laughs) and you know (laughs) the optics of glitter beer, all this stuff. The question came up. What does glitter beer look like on the other side? <laughs> right. Number right. one or number two. And then I said, is this where the fuck we're at with craft beer? Well, the fact you're having the conversation <laughs> is this where the we're fact at? we have glitter beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're we're we're, no, we're like, j- where yeah, where where how it's gonna end out on the other side of your yeah. body. Yeah, we're this uh, is craft beer. I wonder if that's the first time any brewer has ever thought about a customer's poop. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but like, this is where it we're at with glitter beer. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad glitter beer sort of like died off, and uh, I don't even think it's out anymore. I haven't seen anybody doing it recently, and I always no. saw people doing it like as a one-off or like a keg at a festival or something. Yeah, because how are you going to package that? I mean, it was it was that sort of draft. Yeah, only you want to and... talk about like that turbidity settling out in a can? You're going to get a whole like layer of glitter at the bottom. Yeah, for sure. You're not going to shake it. Um, I'm going to pop this uh, Citra IPA. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Um, and then we're going to take our first break, which can you believe it? we've only had one break? No, no breaks. We have no breaks. No, we have no pretty talking we're about. Just clu- we're just cruising. We're an hour into this. Uh, tell me a little bit about your Citra IPA, please, Eric. Are you, uh, are you guys a big IPA house? Yeah. I like to make coffee beer, you know. Okay. But uh, obviously this is Citra hops, and uh, we use a lot of Simpsons... Uh, Crystal rye malt. Crystal rye malt. Really? What does that look like? I hope it held up in... Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, that's like a light orange hue. First yeah. Can you pour more in the glass, malt. please, for us? Again, classic. I should have clipped my fingernails. Look at that. That's gross. Yeah, can you hold it back a little bit? Your nails are disgusting. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been scratching at your back, so I can't... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. That is a very... Um, I feel like there's like a, I don't want to say a schism, because number one, I don't really know what that word means, but it's like a divide <laughs> with IPAs where it's like, it's you know, you got your West Coast IPAs, but you also have your like pre-2000, like late 90s, early 2000s IPAs with like crystal malt and whatever. And I feel like this falls into that category, but with like a progressive lean on the hopping schedule. Like it's a very bright citrus um 
almost like a candied orange peel thing from the Citra, and uh, you know, I imagine you know the the malts that you use and whatever. Um, but it is it is a different combination of that sort of older style, quote unquote, of IPA, and then um, you know, and then with like a the the new age. Is Citra still a new age hop? I don't know anymore, man. There's so many hops out. Sure, um, why not? That's citrusy yeah. hop. I think it's cool, man. <laughs> and I don't like. I'm, I don't do IPAs. So I think it's just. A- I don't like them, but this it tastes. This is is very enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's exactly. It's not your like light hazy. Um, it's a uh, more of like an uh, like a harken back kind of IPA. Yeah, uh, a little more maltier than a Pliny. Um, still just as bright as some of those hops, but you know that I like. You know, I really like the Simpsons Crystal Malts and Simpson yeah. Rye Malt, and uh, so I really like to like. I put a lot of some some of that Simpsons Crystal Rye malt in there about how much do you think which gives it's like about like a 20 percent. 20 percent simpsons so, crystal rye which i've never heard yeah. of but it sounds cool yeah, i haven't either do you ever use golden promise yes oh here we go on the distillate side on distillation oh okay now actually the first uh we're not allowed to talk first... about that yet so we'll, we'll leave <laughs> so you're, the, you're a sponsor uh, you, know, you can honestly, talk about whatever like, you want like you know peter simpson and i like uh met each other years ago with Oscar blues and um, we were, you know, we're going through malt suppliers um, for crystal malt. And, uh, you know, we went off flavor and quality and we did a bunch of blind tastings and uh, you know, we landed on Chris like Simpsons crystal malt and Peter, Peter was so happy about that because it was hmm. about quality and we weren't looking at like the money, you know, it was, it was really cool. And and you know we we landed some big contracts with Simpsons and and uh, the you know Peter Simpson led a good life as a humble maltster but he's not with us anymore and you know the first like uh, probably like you know ten barrels I filled were single malt like Golden Promise malt from Simpsons so you That's know awesome thank you Peter you know yeah. thanks for being in our life you. you know for sure man for sure yeah this is. Um... It's an excellent beer. Do you is it dry hopped? Uh, yeah, with uh, Citra. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Citra is it all just Citra? Is it like just single hop at all, yeah. or what? Okay. It's it's all the C's, like uh, you know, CTZ on the dry hop. Um, you know, with really? our brewing CTZ on the dry hop. That's interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, we do a sixty-minute boil, uh, and uh, we do it's uh, we have an external calandria. Uh, so we do about a 60 minute boil. All of my bittering additions come in at 45 minutes uh, into the boil. So that's usually where I like like to drive the bittering, and then everything else is aromatic. And then depending on the whirlpool or addition into initial fermentation or after, kind of gets other stuff. But um, I don't, you know, I'm more in the 45, 30 minute boil IBU kind of philosophy than the 60 minute. Mm-hmm. Are you a depending on time? Are you a cold or warm dry hop guy? <laughs> I, well, it, it depends on the, what kind of dry hopping you want to do. Okay, um, you know, like so, you know, like like so. American brewers think they're always the first to shit, you know. <laughs> but in Germany, most dry hopping's done day of fermentation, you know, and that, like a lot of like uh, hazy brewers and stuff think that's where it's coming from, and then like. You know, other people will dry hop late. You know, for me, it's about like the uh, what flavor profile are you trying to pull off hop? 
Because, like, you know, the, the clear, like, the the liquid you're, you know, putting the hops into different extractions and also different alcohols. And so, it, you know, until you really understand the, I guess, I guess for me, for dry hopping, like, until you, like, really understand the liquid you're about to, like, inoculate with that hop, like, it's, it's kind of a black box. So you need to know, like, what alcohols you have going into that dry hop what acid, what aldehydes are you pulling on isobutyl alcohols? Like what, you know, cause that, that's all plays an extraction into the, the, the hop, you know? So, okay. so know, know what's, know what liquid you have going into it and then go from there. Cause that alcohol extraction and also chemical reactions can have a lot to do with your dry hop. So okay. why do you use CTZ as a dry hop? I mean, that's sort of unusual uh-huh. in a lot of ways. Is that tie into what oh, you no, just said dry, or? Oh no, bittering, bittering, the straight bittering. Oh, I thought you said dry hop. No, sorry, bittering. <laughs> is that, right. does, well, that does that uh what uh, i'm hearing what, what i'm hearing fear, is sully no what i'm hearing is that he thinks that uh, u.s brewers are very precious they are we are we're we're very sensitive <laughs> we, we kind of are like we did this first yeah i'm the first one because it's all it's all marketing because like, if you're the first you can say that in your marketing and people yeah. believe it to a certain extent we were the first one to put beer in cans of the 21st Amendment. We I, did it first. I've known that. <laughs> you heard it here. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a, a, a break. I want to I want to keep talking, but uh, yeah, I got to take a break. Um, hang on, everybody. It's the session. We're hanging out uh, with Eric from Carrican Brewing and Distilling and, and all sorts of stuff they got going on there. Cincinnati, Ohio is the place. Eric, Carrican, that's all you need to know. Hang on. It's the session. We'll be right back. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. All right, thanks for hanging on, everybody. It's the session. We're still here with Eric from Karakin Spirits, and we're going to be talking about canned cocktails. Now, Eric, we've we've covered your your brewing history for a little bit, but uh, what got you into into spirits besides the fact that they're just delicious? Um, did you have a sort of a love for that while you were homebrewing or did you develop that, you know, as, as, uh, as you were just progressing in your, in your brewing education? No, I think it's a, you're always looking for like the next step and whatever the next step is to express yourself. So spirits, you know, fermentation and that was like kind of the next step. Nice. Did you work at a, a distillery before or when you were building your, your current brewery, you're like, well, I might as well put a, a distillery here cause I'm halfway there. Uh, with the beer side, so I might as well just uh, distill it all. No, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I just kind of like dove right into it. Um, <laughs> you know, fortunately, I had some uh, some like people along the way that, like my friends uh, Brendan Coyle, who's at High West Distillery, and some other people, oh. and um, was able to like kind of lean on some people to like build Kerrigan. But you know, this the still that we built a Kerrigan uh, is a, is a custom built still from. Uh, Vendome out of Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, fortunately I just had like some people along the way to help me out with the distilling world, but like, honestly, to start a good still, you need to have really good fermentation behind it. And that's Mm. where it really starts. And so you have to have a good liquor like behind it before you actually can distill it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've always heard that like, well, fermentation, like uh, fermentation doesn't matter so much in distilling because you know so you can you can blast off your mash at like or your wash at like 95 or well it doesn't matter who gives a shit because it's all getting turned into alcohol but the sort of more you learn about it i i I don't feel like that's true 
I feel like you do have to control your fermentation a little bit. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, like it all starts at fermentation, you know, and yeah. aside from the raw materials you're pulling from the field, but it all starts at fermentation. The more you can control your fermentation, uh, you know, off fermentation, you have different alcohols being produced, different aromas, you know, and that's all uh, controlled by heat and, uh, you know, cell counts of the yeast and temperature control. That it all plays into the overall distillate. And then, you know, consequently, when you're like distilling those alcohols, like depending on what alcohol is made in your fermentation, like will end up in your overall distillate. So mm-hmm. like the alcohol you make is equal to the distillate you make. Right. Okay. Do do things like esters from fermentation and all that kind of stuff carry over as well? Or is, is it just pure alcohol? <laughs> uh, it is. Well, it is actually alcohol, you know, it comes over and, sure. you know, for the different percentages, uh, you know, who knows, but like, you know, for instance, like when you're pulling over methanol, that's the first thing you're pulling over and distillate. That's like, smells like the worst hangover you had. <laughs> and then good. afterwards it's like you get, <laughs> and it's some good cuts. And then, uh, you know, we do fractional distillation. So we will pull our heads, hearts and tails, okay. and then we'll use our tails cuts, you know, essentially as you're distilling, you're, you know, taking out alcohol out of solution and we're left behind is more water. So as you get close to the end of the distillation run, you have more water. So you kind of get into that more wet dog flavor and aroma. So it depends on the distillate you're running, but okay, wet dog. sometimes you might want more of that rough here. So yeah. you capture it all and then use it somewhere in the process. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So we have uh, three bins, <clears throat> our heads, hearts, and tails bins. And depends on uh, what we're running, you know, we might only use the hearts bins or we'll uh, run and blend other different stuff out. Like, mm. you know, so if we're like a high-right whiskey, we might run in some of our, like, first runs of our high-right distillate into the hearts. Just, just depends. And that's where you get okay. into, like, the sensory aspect and also what alcohol you're pulling. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. When did you – you know, I, I failed to ask, when did you open Karakin? How long? How long has it been? Uh, it's been like like about uh, two and a half years, you know. Now at this point. Okay, so, so you, you December eighteen. You probably don't have December eighteen when we opened. December eighteen. Okay, so you probably don't have a whiskey ready, but I'm imagining you have one aging. Yeah. So we right when we opened up, uh, we started aging our product. We went to Bardstown, Kentucky. We found a uh, Cooperage, Zach Cooperage, and we get. Uh, Right off the rip, we requested two-year season staves, um, which which means like so. When you pull like uh, wood to make for barrels, nice. How long you age it, uh, like depends on what you're gonna get out of the wood. Okay. So for us, like down in Kentucky, we're able to get two-year season staves. So which means they took these staves, uh, middle of the cut Kentucky wood, and then laid it down for two years. That so the longer you put like wood like that in like a yard, it takes more of the tannins out, like that like green wood, kind of real you know harsh, mm-hmm. you know tannin like like sucking on dry tea bag kind yeah, of rough. flavor. Yeah, and the longer you stick them, yeah. <laughs> and then we you know requested like that, and then we put <clears throat> the number four char on the staves once those are ready, which is uh, the alligator kind of scale they call. 
And then we did a number two try on the heads of the barrel. And then we laid those down for two years. And you know what? We have two years straight bourbon whiskey ready to go. Damn. <laughs> and uh, same with high rye. Oh, my God. So you, I don't understand how you, you have the time <laughs> to yeah, not only yeah, open I'm a brand cool. new brewery, but then figure out the, the char levels that you need, yeah. f- sourcing the barrels, putting a distillery in, learning about a whole aspect. Like, it feels like you don't rest. You're just constantly yeah, what's moving. what's going on there? I was going to ask that, too. How did you learn about yeah, distilling? You're, you just, like, you're like a character. A you're like a character in Dungeons & Dragons where you just take a short rest and you steal, you're you oh. you're recharged enough to do the thing later. You're actually. I don't know what you mean, but keep going. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, you know, well, for me, distillation is like the last step. You know, you create this uh, alcohol product, the next step's heating up to 100 and, you know, 78, 73 degrees, and then you run, run evaporate, you know, so it's, okay. I don't know. It's one of those things, man. That's but that doesn't mean it's sellable. Yeah, it does. It, it, there doesn't have to be an answer to it. It's just it's it's interesting to me because I I would assume that starting a brewery, um, you know, with all the sort of things that you that you want in a location to expand and thinking about all that kind of stuff takes a lot of energy. But then you're basically doing it again with a distillery at the same time, um, and then figuring all the working parts for that, how to make good spirit in addition to the good beer and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like a, a lot of energy. So, I mean, kudos to you. That's that's a ton of work, and it sounds like it's it's about to pay off because you have what some of these darker whiskeys come or these darker liquors coming online soon. Yeah, totally. Like you know, uh, we initially started with our clear spirits, but in this sure, this yeah. area, like uh, everybody wants like dark spirits. You know. Mm-hmm. Like in the Cincinnati, Kentucky, Tennessee sure. area, yeah, you know everybody's interested in bourbon and high rye whiskey, whiskey, yeah, which is cool, you know. Yeah. But we're ready to do it, you know. I would say that everybody has their philosophy in distilling, and uh, you know, some people want to like bring in young spirit and blend blend it in with other spirits, but you know, we're really proud in the fact that we're two years into biz- our business. And we're ready to bring in our two-year bourbon. For us, that was that was very important. Yeah. And to like actually like control our barrels, and to be able to say that, you know, and you know, like I said, everybody has their own philosophy. That's our philosophy. Yeah. Are you gonna do any rum ever? <laughs> yeah. So we have <laughs> we have a Contrasta say, well, style rum. As a matter of fact, and it's actually we have a well, yes, actually, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we have a two-year rum aged in Alarosa sherry barrels. That's ready to go to. And share bills. Wow. Okay. So, nice, man. yeah, it's like, you know, like the, the aging thing is like, uh, for me, you know, like beer is so like immediate, but the barrel aging thing is goes beyond your life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I wish I could just live longer. Because <laughs> all <laughs> those things for putting them into barrels. Yeah. They'll go for beyond our life, you know, and that's yeah. the Eric, real you're a, you're, Eric, you're a young man. Now settle down, settle down. But isn't that the real master blend? A good life. I suppose you're right. Well, Sully, I know you have one of these key lime sparkling spirits. So let's open this. Yeah, I do. And then we can drink this. So you're obviously doing uh, cocktails and cans. Eric, how's that going for for you? I, from the, a few people I've talked to that, that do this, um, it's hard to blend uh, a cocktail in a can and have it ready to go. Uh, was that a challenging thing for you guys? I think it's more uh, challenging on the sales front. Like nobody knows where to put it, you know, and, and nobody knows like how to talk about it. You know, everybody can talk about seltzer, 
but nobody can say this was made with vodka or tequila or whatever, you know? When you say, so like, to, like, when you say where to put it, you mean like physically on the shelf or like yes. just when yeah. you're talking to the customer? Yes. Okay, really? Huh. Okay. Yeah. Where, where, where would you put like a, yeah. How would you differentiate a cocktail in a can? Well, the key, seltzer, so the key, you know? so the key lime sparking spirit, it's like, what is it? It's 4.75% alcohol. Is it really? Oh my. So it's like yeah. a self. It's with agave and natural flavors and carbonation. I mean, it, it smells amazing. Eric, is seltzer a, a bad word? Is that a is that a a slur? I mean, you know what I mean. There's there's a lot of brewers who don't like doing seltzers. So did I call if I call this a seltzer, would you hit me when you see me? I I think the the word seltzer is a creative word. I think, you know, I think it's an embrace it. You know, uh, the the whole word word uh, sparkling spirit. You know, we've tried this for two years, like trying to push that mantra. I'll just tell you internally, we're like, is that working? You know, what do you say? Like, how do you, how do you express to the market? We're bringing a agave distilled spirit and mixing it with real lemon and lime juice. Like, how do you express that? You know, is it seltzer? Is it, you know, sparkling spirit? I'm just, you know, I, I appreciate, here's, here's my life. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that, that you're open about that because sort of what the show's about it, it's really cool um and it gives people sort of you know a, a little, little peek behind the, the the kimono as jimo would say but drinking it now it it it, it, it i guess it isn't a seltzer it's sweet it has a sweetness it. to it as a sweetness to it that lemon lime is sort is very very and you get the agave like aroma almost yeah so it it's i don't know i don't know so what are you guys going to do are you going to call it a seltzer or are you going to I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> how are, right now we how call are you the, making this, yeah. by the way? Well, I mean, who, you guys didn't sign any waivers, did you? No. Know. Well, no, I sign all the waivers all the time. <laughs> yeah. so, that's how we, so we we, we bring in the real lemon and lime juice, 100% without a concentrate. And then we uh, bring in the agave uh, syrup from Alisco, Mexico. Then we actually blend down that syrup. And then we ferment it, distill it. And then blend it in with our lemon and lime juice. Voila. <laughs> and that's it. How are you not like getting it to re-ferment? If you don't you don't have to talk about that part, by the way. Well, you know, we have a couple kill steps. Okay. I would call those stabilizing steps. We're not gonna get a semantics here, but yeah, we, we make sure it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, uh, we're not you know, the other interesting thing is like kombucha, you know, hard kombucha. Yeah. No, it's really good. This is delicious. Are you guys pivoting to pivoting? Are you embracing hard kombucha? You love that word. I do. I've been trying not to say it actually. Yeah, you say it every day. Alice what the says embracing? it now on Instagram. No, uh, pivot. We've been talking about that on, on a couple of shows because I keep asking about how you how are you pivoting through COVID? How are you pivoting which during COVID? We haven't even gotten through COVID yet, so um, you know, it might not even come up, which is sort of refreshing. I'll be honest. I mean, you know, everyone's tired of talking to, but anyway. Um, are you are you going to be doing hard kombucha too? Because I I feel like that's I've been seeing a lot more of that in the craft beer world now too. You know we've been thinking about pivoting towards that, but uh, <laughs> we haven't. All right. No, no, no. I mean, you know, so I'm friends with the guys at Bear Bottle. You know, and I know Bear Bottle has been doing like a bunch of cool stuff out there. You know, in the in the kombucha world, I you know I love it. I I, I think any expression of beverage is beautiful so wow. you know whether it's hard you know i think that like i think that like the reality is with kombucha world like 
you have to figure out how to make it like within its boundaries because you know it won't and then and that's saying with kind of pivoting pivoting to uh, cannabis like you have to stay within your boundaries yeah I'm, you know eric you, you sound like you should be living in san francisco well, I was going to say, like, not you sound like a Cincinnati, like, I think every expression of beverage. I mean, you sound like a guru that should be out here running like a, like, you a know, cult. Uh, I don't know. Just a, say it. A say camp cult. somewhere or something. There you go. Yeah, I was definitely going to say, like, uh, a, you definitely like, spent time in Colorado with that in mind. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm definitely more, like 100 well, pounds bigger than, I don't, I don't like pivot like I used to, you know. <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> See, here we go. Let me talk about pivoting. Um, I I like it. I you know what? And I'll, I'll be honest, man. I it's really pre- good. I appreciate the fact that it's under five percent. Not only am I like a big alcohol, like uh, I want the lower alcohol with the full flavor, which is hard to do. Like we we're talking earlier, um, but I I feel good that I could just sit here and just drink this can even during the show. I know we have a lot more to get to, but um, I I like it. I think that is like an under five uh, percent target. With a with a, really a beer good. with a, a drink. There's a lot of flavor there. Yeah, that's really expressive and and thirst quenching. It's it's delicious. I think it's and really it's good. It's not fat. <clears throat> oh well, shit. Um. Okay, I'll tell you what. Since we're sort of running up, well, you know what? Fuck it. Citrus citrus tonic. We're just going to talk about this one real fast. What's a citrus tonic? Yeah, so citrus tonic is a, a uh, basically a, a tonic that like so. There's a company in Cincinnati uh, called Hop Water, and uh-huh. the flavor company in town like made a lot of like hop water juices and extracts and all these kind of things. And like we know the guy Tony, that was a part of it, and we created like this uh, kind of like this quinine, you know, hop solution. With it, we use like hop bitters, hop smooth, lime to create this like uh, tonic flavor and overlay it with our gin. Okay, so it's a gin and tonic basically. Yes, but I mean with hop uh, extracts. With hop extracts? That's what this is? Yeah. Can you tell me what hops? No, we can't. <laughs> uh, that's like extremely proprietary. <laughs> Well, I'm going to run through no, the entire a, list of known hops, and you can tell me yes or no. I'm going to drop no, this glass yeah, on the exactly. ground. And tell me when I'm to gonna stop. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Warm, cold, warm, cold, warm, cold. <laughs> um, no, it's a, that's fine, man. That's fine. It's a uh, no. There's like hop. There's, there's like hop sharp and hop smooth, and I, you know, other than that, or or we use a very botanical gin, cilantro, rosemary. Okay. Okay, cilantro. I get that. I get that actually a little bit. I was trying to pick out the flavor before you said it, and it was it. It's very unique, and I don't know how to like. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. But I'll be honest. At first, I didn't care for it, and then you told me what it was, and the 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 spices or botanicals or whatever. Um, they're hops, and the more I sit with it, the more I can like figure out what it is. And it is—it's a very, very unique beverage. I actually like it a lot more than I did. Um, I think it's very creative, and it's—it's it's unlike anything I've ever had um, from a cocktail before. It's—it's it's very unique. I, I like appreciate it. that, and I, I like think it. that, like, I think I think it's like it's like 
constantly challenging. I'm not saying like anybody's flavor portfolio, but it's constantly challenging what flavor you can put in a can. Yeah. Like it's not what you'd expect, you know? And I think that's the first part about drinking anything out of a can like this is like, what am I drinking? You know? And, you know, I think that after that, there's like the, it's not drinkable, but there's that first, like, what is this? (laughs) Right. right. Do you find that you have to change the, the recipe or, or, or the, the focus of what you want the spirit to be from glass to can? Like it doesn't, it doesn't translate well from the glass into the, into yeah, the can. I, I, you know, I think, well, I, I, it's such an expanding category. I don't think you can even like tell say what like your base point is at this point. There's so much okay. experimentation going on in this category. Okay. That's a good non-answer. Well, no, you're leading the way too. I mean, <laughs> I clearly, you, you know, you're, you're mixing like different areas of the beverage industry and like trying to find the best thing you can do and put it in a can. It's amazing. Yeah. So what, so are these canned cocktails? I kind of, I kind of, I want to go back to that because I, I'm, I'm trying to categorize everything because not only my home brewer, but I'm a, a journalist or whatever. Right. I want to, I want to call this a thing, but I know you have sparkling spirit on there, and we talked about it, you know, briefly. This is the next time I'm going to open the rum and coke, but I, yeah. I keep going back to what what do I what do I call this? I want to call it a canned you know, cocktail. That's, that's a really fucking awesome question. No, it's it's yeah. What do you call it? Right? It's like because uh, it's what what speaks to people. Like what what is the correct marketing tool, or what's the what does it really mean? You know, because and where do you put it? I'm, like because. I'm the wrong guy to do. I mean, you know, and I, I we're, you're asking the same question we ask ourselves. Yeah, like I do marketing for other stuff and whatever, but like I'm the worst person to market to because I fucking hate marketing. I can't stand it. I don't subscribe to it, any emails. Quiet. I don't do anything right. But with this, it's like canned cocktail for me. That would be enough, right? But I realize I'm not in your market, right? <laughs> you being in Ohio and I'm out here in California, so I don't know what what regionally people would would gravitate to but these are under five percent these are 4.75 percent well i know i know the cola. So, I, mean, I love like, it i was just you know i was i was at a store today where i saw mm-hmm. non-alc gin and uh it was at uh, berkeley bowl non-alcoholic had a non- gin i've had a non-alc gin before on a plane and it wasn't bad um i mean i think this is a sparkling spirit cocktail there's nothing wrong with saying it that way i think when you i think when you say spark when you say like you know, cocktail in a can, it's sort of implying like, well, we made this, you know, in Manhattan and we just put it in a can. I mean, that's not what's going on here. It's very different. I think it's a fluid industry where, you know, where people are more concerned, like you said, Jason, earlier about like what kind of, you know, how much alcohol am I consuming? You don't want to put like a 10%. You don't want to drink 10%. This is perfect. This tastes great for what it is. So it's a sparkling spirit in a can. Oh, I think maybe sparkling cocktail because to me sparkling it sort of lightens it up right it's a light word it's a light imagery um automatically maybe i'm gonna coincide that with a lighter in alcohol but you i don't know i don't know man i don't know why eric you you do this to yourself and you drag me into it where you sort of create these new things that nobody knows about and now it's a thing that you have to figure out 
And I, I don't think know it's why. also how you telegraph it. Well, it's like and in in the yeah. visuals uh-huh. and 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 what it, you know and the label and the imagery and all this. That's what's really important as well. But I think you know I think what's what's happening is that this is such a new thing that you almost can define it the way you want to define it. Yeah. And you want to, you just have to get buy-in from your distributor. So they know how to sell it. And also the retailer say, okay, this is what this is. And they get people on board. And also placement, like we talked about earlier, like where does it, where does it lay on the shelf? I mean, where is this going to sit? This is, this should not probably sit in the beer space, but maybe he wants it to have it in the beer space because he has beer, you know, he's already making beer uh, with the name Carrigan. So, you know, there's a lot of like questions and, Well, I don't think it's as complicated, but it I, is. I will say on that point, Sully, seeing rum and cola sparkling spirit would make me pick up the can to look at what the fuck that means. Yeah, and then I would read underneath. What, okay, it's sure, it's rum and handcrafted cola. Okay, I I can dig on that. There's the alcohol there. Okay, I I think I know what it is. So it is sort of like you are creating your space. You have a term that you're trying to yeah. define, and you are the definer of that word. So. Um, it, it, it would, it would grab me. That's for sure. I think sparkling spirit is perfect. Yeah. I think sparkling spirit cocktail is limiting. Sparkling cocktail. That's what I'd say. I don't think cocktail is a good word. That was our whole, like, you know, I agree. That was our whole thought process, you know? See, I'm, I'm Eric's Eric and his team have spent like thousands of dollars trying to tell people what sparkling spirit is. Yeah. You know? But that's just like the way – so this goes back yeah, to the millions. beginning of the conversation. Like the beginning of the conversation was like talking about craft beer in a can. And so it's just uh, – it's an education point that eventually people will catch up to. Right. Right. We hope so. Yeah. yeah. We're like having our own focus Focus group. group. Here. But I think – to me, this is stuff is super interesting, not only just marketing in general, but talking out – things and guessing how the public is going to react and then you sort of come back to, I don't know man I, to me that's infinitely fascinating so I apologize if uh, everyone's like bored to actually, tears but almost like um, a conversation is just happening with that, that and other people just happen to be listening to us right yeah. now because I think this is a great uh, you know question to ask like how do you right now in the space that's existing with low ABV sparkling esque cocktails how does that how's that going to play out well look anybody listening you you can email your advice to eric at i don't know man i don't know whatever um yeah it's super fascinating and i think that's really cool that uh that you have created something in the space that is different enough to warrant a conversation like this and i i I feel like in the drinks category at least in the beer category it's harder to do and maybe the spirits category it's a little bit easier now but it's it's a new thing and uh, it, it's tasting great. And like I said, I, I would definitely grab it off the shelf to examine what a sparkling spirit even means. Um, I opened the rum and cola. <clears throat> and so this is, and had I, had, I, had I remembered that you had sent me one of these, I would not have asked, hey, are you going to do a rum? Because clearly you did. Uh, tell me a little bit about your... About, caffeine free. It's caffeine free. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell me a little bit about your like, rum. You said it was a cachaça... Um, it's style. style. So we, yeah. So it's a uh, sugarcane and uh, blackstrap molasses, and we use a uh, South American yeast strain. Okay, and we ferment it. You, you know, it's interesting. These these yeast strains usually ferment around ninety eight to eighty nine degrees Fahrenheit. You know, pretty high 
a lot of distillation yeast strains ferment very high, but they create a lot of estuary, uh, you know, profiles, a lot of banana, you know, esters. Mm-hmm. And then by the time mm-hmm. you distill it out, it comes out in that. But you get a lot of butterscotch in the flavor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, absolutely. And then um, handcrafted cola. So you guys are making your own cola in-house. Yep. Nice. I love it. How are these How are these uh, sparkling spirits... See, uh, how are they? How are they being you received? Go. Like you, you know, you like I said, you've created this thing. You, you're, it's definitely a, you know a, a focused uh, a product. How are they being received in the market? Do people do people like them? Yeah, I think you know for us, our biggest challenge is uh, you know getting people's lips to the product, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's something we missed out in 2020, and you know we're just like ready to get like people's lips on these products and. You know, it's it's not so much like Same. innovation, just like letting people know what else is out there. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, you know, you, you know. Okay. I get it. I see. There's some training. There's some tasting going on here. I get it. Yeah. It's very good. I like it, man. It's it's a, it's a unique rum and Coke, rum and cola. Um, You know, because Thank of that, I think that, that cachaca focus. Um, it, it's, it's entirely unique and I think it's very good. And again, under 5%, what was the, the, the point or the point, the, the reasoning for you internally behind making it a lower, a, a lower uh, thing? Was that just to separate it from a cocktail truly or, or something different? Yeah, it's just the, uh, drinkability, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, you know, we, we approached it like, uh, Someone can have like a couple in a sitting with a couple of friends and, you know, feel like they're a part of the crew and, or people that want to bring like a cocktail to a party, but don't want to bring the whole bar. Like they, you know, they have an Avenue and I mean, that's, you know, for me, that was a part of it. I love it. I, th- I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop right now, but I just want <laughs> to say, I think that's, that's very good. I think that's responsible. Number one, but number two, um, you know, I would split this rum and coke, rum and cola. It's a it's a branding thing. You'd rum and coke. What do you mean? I have to do. What do you mean? I would I would get two glasses, fill them both with ice, and share this can with somebody else. I'll be over in a half an hour. <laughs> I'll, I'll cap it. But you know what I mean? Not because yeah, I would agree not, with that. Yeah, not for any What's reason, the- but just because it's like it, it it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't I'm, I don't really drink a whole lot of soda, so for me that's it's a lot of soda. But also. It's just it's a lot of the same flavor and 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 f- for a cocktail kind of aspect thing, I I think that's that's very enjoyable. So like you said, I would bring this to your, to a party and I would share it. Um, and you can still you can have right. a few, you can knock a few of these back over a couple hours and then still be okay. And I, yeah, I I don't know, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. I think these are great. These are very good, man. What JP is saying is enjoying the beverages. Yes, that's true. Um, Okay, so we have one more spirit to try, which is the agave spirit, the Blaze. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah, so I'm going to drink this whole bottle. Yeah, blazing. Let's do it. In one sitting. Drunk of the week. Drunk of the week. I'm going to blaze it up and uh, hopefully vomit. (laughs) Or else I'm going to go to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, How do you you like... What I like to ask people is how do you like to blaze? (laughs) I want to get into your into your marijuana business too. It's just we have so much to get through. Uh, uh, so you have to talk about that. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to make a drink. I'm going to come back. 
We're gonna we're gonna wrap up. We're gonna talk a little bit about the blaze. We're gonna talk a little bit about your your marijuana uh, business. Uh, I just said that because it sounds. You cool. said it like you're like from 1955. Yeah. Your marijuana business. Your jazz cabbage <laughs> business. And uh, you have. And then we're gonna get uh, out of here. So hang on, everybody. Weed. It's the session. We'll be right back. tuned into the session because life's too short to listen to crappy radio hey thanks for hanging around everybody we're about to wrap things up here on the session but i want to talk about blaze which is your agave spirit eric and it's not tequila because it's uh it's fermented in cincinnati that's correct yeah it's one of those regional uh, style. Yeah, that's right. But you uh, you said earlier that you get the agave from Jalisco, from in 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 Mexico, and then you you bring it Correct. up. All right. Well, that's cool, man. Uh, is there is there no such thing as like locally grown agave, or is that is that not a is that not a thing? You know, I, I mean, like maybe it's grown locally, like in s- small pods or something, but not like on a major agricultural, you know, thing. But, uh, you know, when I was young and fantasized, I thought it'd be cool. Like Southern Utah have like a, uh, you know, (laughs) agave plant, you know, kind of thing going with my salsa factory. But that's what I was just thinking. That's what I was was thinking. But I I was younger then, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like there's, Um, there's enough, there's enough of you guys. There's enough distilleries out there in the U S that would, would probably buy U.S. grown agave just because, right? It's a thing. Yeah, but it it, it really is a thing, and it's uh, agricultural. And it's to take a lot behind that, and you know, so like the the agave we sources from the Jalisco region, you know, there really is a terroir, if you will, yeah. um, you know, with the agave plants. Okay, that's really good. I'm not. I'm not. So it's helpful. I'm not a tequila guy, but there is that. There is that. Um, I don't even know how to describe it because this is part of what, probably why I'm not a tequila guy. So this is uh, clear. It's unaged. It's un, uh, not oaked. I guess is really the the, the exactly. better way to describe yep. that. Um, it tastes great. It's flavorful. It's not. It's not just what you think of as tequila as like oh, that's just gonna burn and make me throw up. There's there is like a. Uh, a, a spirit character uh, that's still hanging around in your mouth. So you're definitely getting the sense that this is a, a a craft small batch, you know, which I know are two like very wide target marketing terms. Um, but it tastes very good. It tastes very good, man. Eric, how do you describe it? I mean, what do you think of this? I mean, how would you phrase it? The uh, tequila? It's a no, pretty no. Oh. <laughs> The dinner you had tonight. No, yeah, the tequila. The agave spirit, you guys. It's not tequila. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so first of all, yeah, like it can't be called tequila because um, it's not made in Mexico, you know, but we do source all the raw materials from the Lisco region. And, you know, uh, we have a very clean fermentation. Uh, you know, what's interesting in the, the fermentation of uh, agave is it actually uh, the byproduct of fermentation is something that will actually inhibit yeast growth. And so mm-hmm. it's very hard to get like the agave to attenuate and ferment. 100% out. So, uh, you know, in traditional like Jalisco region agave fermentation, you have a lot of wild yeast and bacteria that'll actually ferment it out. You know, fortunately for us, we can actually source some of those, you know, wild yeast and whatnot. But 
Um, it's a it's a very interesting part of the actual fermentation of the agave plant. It smells great. You're like you're you're fermenting this, uh, and then you're just keeping it stainless. You're not. There's no wood touching this at all. Didn't exactly touch wood. for us. For us, it's all yeah stainless steel fermentation. Uh, you know the other uh, you know distilleries down in, in Mexico, it's it's much wood, and a lot of the natural you know yeast and bacteria like live in that wood and actually mm-hmm. like help with the fermentation of of agave. Huh. Okay. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a terroir in the sense of a flavor, but it's also everybody's jumping in to actually help to help ferment the thing. That's cool. Well, I think it's well, one thing's the fermentation, but it's also like where it's grown. Yeah. Um sure. You know, because you have like it's all high desert. So you have like high desert regions that uh hit more uh like a wind, wind shear like sunlight, you have other ones that like are lower, maybe a more shadow. Uh, the, all those plants like you know represent like the terroir of the region. So you know it all carries over into distillate, and you know that's that's part of like when we talked about like beard and spirits and what I'm doing. It's like you know you it's like in the next realm of like learning about flavor and what it, what it's fermentation and and all that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes a good drink. I'll tell you that. I pulled out my my trusty uh, Smuggler's Cove book. We had Martin uh, Kate, the author of this, who was on our Heads and Tails program uh, a couple years ago. And uh, if anybody has the book, it's on page 137. I made the Ernesto, which is two ounces of teen grapefruit soda, an ounce of lime juice, honey syrup, apricot liqueur, tequila blanco. So I substitute that, obviously, for the blaze. And then uh, I did a dash of Pernod because I don't have the Herb Saint Angostura, uh, whatever. Anyway. Um, Smuggler's Cove, great book, uh, great cocktail. Uh, the blaze comes through too, man. I feel like sometimes when people have tequila and drinks, it's especially blanco. It's sort of, I think, to not taste anything. It's like not vodka, but you know, whatever. But and I don't know if I have that right or not, but that's my opinion on it. But this, I, I get some of that flavor drinking it side by side. I get some of the flavor coming through, especially after you know, overneath. Oh, oh Jesus Christ, I'm getting drunk. It's okay, over you're fine. Keep going. all of over all of the other flavors in the in the in the cocktail, it makes a good cocktail. All right, Eric. Uh, wrapping up, I did want to get to a couple things you're doing. Mainly, you're a pot dealer now. Is that what's going on? That's what I read. Gee, oh somewhere. my god! Whoa! Yeah, you got two. Hey-o, hey-o. You got two for five. Yeah. No, you. Uh, <laughs> you're. Uh, tell me a little bit about Manzanita Naturals, please. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, like. Uh, you know, we're all in beverage, you know, as we are. And, you know, I, I, I ran into a couple of people a few years ago and they're like, you know, someone with your expertise could really help us out a lot. And uh, that's kind of where it all began. Uh, you know, I never thought that I would be doing what I was doing then now, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all about, you know, uh, deliver. you know, for me, it's like, like with products about, Delivering like what people want in every product, you know. It's about delivering like, an experience, yeah. actually. Whether it's yeah, the liquid exactly. or yeah. the flavor, it's it's all encompassing. So, but how do you how do you navigate those waters of of I mean, public opinion is so fickle. I think when you you're trying to deliver something that everybody wants, you can't really. That's hard to do, man. How do you? I don't know. How do you find your, your rudder through that? 
I mean, as far as what people want to drink or... Yeah, well, what you produce, right? Because you go, okay, well, every, you know, I want people to like this, but not everybody's going to like it. So do you sort of, I, I guess you have to focus on what, what you enjoy also, right? Yeah, and well, I think it's about what we all want, right? Yeah. It's about like uh, putting our hair back a little bit, you know, chilling out. Okay. I can't put that in a bottle, you know, I, no. I can just try to like make that experience, you know? It's it's like you know uh, when I like let's go back to Oscar Blues you know okay. when I used to look at can stacks of Dale's Pale Ale like how many people like had their biggest life experience off that beer you know or like <laughs> yeah. you know um, how many people named their kid off that or how many people you know had, had a this kid off crazy. That. A life experience, man. You know, that's what yeah. we do. We work in fire. Okay. We we create the fire, you know, and just to understand that like that's where we are in life and like, you know, like said, like working at Dale's looking at all those can stacks. You know, how many how many, how much life did you create or whatever man, off of that? I feel like that's well, your it, that's your um your uh anthropology side coming out too where you're yeah. looking you're looking at the thing that's in the present and you're looking to the future as to what this holds so people can then reflect upon it in the past right it's this whole like thing it's very synergistic um sort of i don't know lifestyle that you that you lead where you're 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 focused on on experiences that people are having uh based on what you're doing that's pretty cool yeah, I actually, I think it's more like Eric, like, I like the fact we're talking about him, he's in the room right now, um, I hung is, up that, uh, <laughs> is that, he, he, I think he's, I, I, I always thought that Eric is curious. I mean, look, I mean, you know, he started, uh, you know, uh, Carrican, you know, that was a, obviously a, a, a passion that brought him back to Cincinnati. You know, every, it seems like every like venture you've taken on has been more of a curiosity experiment in a lot of ways. And so, when, you know, the Manzanita Natural folks approached you about, hey, we want to make really great, you know, liquid cannabis beverages and put them in a bottle or a can and a can. Uh, and you were the guy to do it because you were like, oh, how can we do that? How can we make that work? Because there, there's inherent challenges with like, how do you get something like that soluble in solution? How do you not, how do you make it work in a can? That's always I know that's been a challenge. And so I think it's actually part of your like makeup, your DNA is that you're like, just like, whoa, that's cool. Let's see how that works. Yeah, I mean, the marketing aspect is there too, but it's also like, that's a messaging thing. The liquid's always there. The, mm -hmm. the quality of the liquid is there. And so it's like, you know, whoever picks up the can, you know, they're going to pick it up and enjoy it. Like the, the beers and the, and the, you know, the, the sparkling spirits that we've had. And the, I think they're going to get it once they have it. It's getting people to open up that first Dale's Pale Ale. Right, right. In some ways. So for Manzanita Naturals, are you are you involved on the on the weed side? The because basically they're they're infused THC and CBD uh, liquids. So are you are you focusing on how <laughs> those blend in flavor wise with the liquids, or what's your role in that? Yeah, definitely. Like on the consultation role, and then early on, a few years ago, it was about like flavor development. Uh, you know, how do you put like like suspend oil essentially in the liquid hmm. yeah, and, and make, make it a, uh, you know, homogenized product. So, Very and cool. again, like it's about the consumer experience. Yeah. 
Exactly. Okay. Well, look, if you guys are, are hanging out there and you and you see one of these on the shelf, it's the Fizz. Is the uh, the um, I guess the the seltzer for lack of a better term. There's actually a lot of yep. things on it. Uh, the Quick Ease, which is uh, what more of a, a energy sort of a thing, right? You have uh, Quick Ease and Quick Z's if you want to come down. Z's, yeah. With, I like the fact that JP, you're like, I don't know what this. I don't know is. what's going I just on. Read man. about marijuana last week. Yeah, it's still a thing, right? Yeah, like, I. Well, I meant, I mean, that was, that was giving you a hard time. That was one of the times where, uh, internally I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, uh, yeah, it's quick Z's uh, with Kush Berry Indica, hundred milligrams of THC. Kush Berry. Yeah. Kush, in Kush Berry. Kush Berry. Hundred million. Damn, yeah, dude. So, so, so. I also have blurry so, vision. Now. So, well, that's, a, you know, we're kind of getting to like defining the category, but like, yeah. you know, like, uh, with Manzanita, we have a bunch of different products that are have either sugar added, you know, so they're more in the soft drink line. We have ones that are no sugar added. And then the ones you're talking about, the quickies and the quick Z's, uh, those are hundred milligram. Each capsule is a five milligram capsule. And um, you can dose that into a mocktail mule or whatever. This is what, you know, the controversy is within the beer industry is, or like liquor, you know, how many, how many people are gonna start dosing their cocktails with weed and not, you know, liquor moving off it, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yes, but also it's different. It's a different high for lack of a better term, you know, to be buzzed on alcohol and then, you know, to smoke like a CBD joint or whatever. Like they're just, they're different animals. I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly surprised at how big the, uh, the THC infused drinks industry has has become i i never thought it would be this big because of that that same thing i'm like well if you want to get high you're just going to smoke pot but you can't really do that everywhere and then this is where the 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 thc and cbd drinks industry has been born right (laughs) and then but even then i think after it's it's such a great idea and people are doing such a good job at it clearly that people are demanding it so it it is it's an entirely new uh, industry that i just never saw coming but then again I, like i said I, I don't really know a whole lot <laughs> so i think it's really well, cool well, man pe- people want to be social right people want to be social right they want to hang out they want to be like if they're holding a can of whatever 12 ounce they want to be viewed as like everybody else yeah well find out more about it everybody go to manzanitanaturals.com and if it's in your area check it out and uh, you know, raise a glass to Eric there for for helping you out with your raise uh, a glass. You know, with your thing, man. <laughs> Clink a bottle. I don't know, man. Do whatever we do. Whatever we do in the drinks industry, Sully. Well, we do a lot here. I mean, uh, I think what we're noticing is that it's very fluid, <laughs> and that uh, I hate you. Right you know, now. it's uh, it's going to come at you in different ways. I mean, yeah. I think uh, we're already seeing that right now with hard seltzers. We're seeing that with. Uh, cannabis, you know, beverages and also, you know, can sparkling spirit cocktails. It's a, it's a brave new world. And I think that, you know, Eric is definitely like, he's on the forefront. He's an experimenter and uh, we're all the better for it. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. I love it. Eric, if you ever come out this way, man, I'd love to have you in, in our actual real studio. Um, because I think there could be a really good conversation. We have a lot of stuff we haven't even touched on, uh, but I'm afraid we have to wrap things up right now. Uh, you guys go to karakinspirits.com. That's K-A-R-R-I-K-I-N spirits.com. Learn more 
about uh, the Karakin spirits and the beers and uh, all that kind of stuff. If you're ever in Cincinnati, check them out. Eric, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you being here and sending all the beers. Everything was great. I had a really great time, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the time. And they do hand sanitizer, too. By the way, so this was in the package. This is in the package. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. That was only one thing. This is in the package, and I saw it, and I didn't think sanitizer because I didn't read it because, you know, it was just like whatever. I thought it was like uh, instantly like a, like a spray bitters <laughs> because I saw the bottle, and I was like, oh, cocktails? Okay, canned cocktails? This has got to be a spray bitters. And I almost didn't look at it and just assumed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a cocktail. I'm going to use this and the and the and the blaze. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad I read it because that would have been uh, that would have been fun to drink. I would have liked to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Eric. Thanks again, man. Sully, thank, thank you. you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you guys thank for listening you, sir. Um, on the old Facebook live. I uh, appreciate it. If you want more cool beer radio, of course, go to thebrewingnetwork.com. We have tons of shows happening all the time. If you are listening live right now, we are going to be doing a live Dr. Homebrew on Wednesday night. We're going to do two shows. Brian and Brian and myself, of course, are going to be uh, drinking homebrews and talk about the new styles that the BA just announced. So it's going to be a fun time over there. Uh, check that out very much. Actually, I had a thing I was supposed to mention. Shit. Okay, here we go. There is a new... Uh, Pro-Am, a new homebrew competition that I'm supposed to talk about. It's called the Rising Star Pro-Am Homebrew Competition. It's a BJCP-sanctioned event hosted by Device Brewing in Sacramento. And uh, you can go to devicebrewing.com slash brewcomp. Entries are 8 bucks, and the competition, competition is limited to the first 150 entries. So get in now if you guys are itching to uh, sort of get back to normalcy as far as entering homebrew competitions. Check that out, devicebrewing.com slash brewcomp. The uh, window is from April 23rd to May 8th, 2021, and judging will take place on the 22nd. So check that out, devicebrewing.com slash brewcomp. Get your homebrews in there to the Rising Star Pro-Am homebrew competition. All right, we are out of here. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, Thank you again, Eric. Go to carrickandspirits.com. Thank you to Sully. Uh, bye, guys. Yes. Peace out. Just the race. JP does great as his cherry.